Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Robert Kappelman. I've often said, I mean, if you listen to the weather on the radio, you look at the weather forecast on your computer, uh, they're barely right if you go out 48 or 72 hours. So how do they know what's going to happen in 100 years? Uh, and that's really true. It, it's all kind of speculation. So the important question is now, now that we've established so much of this that, as we have, there are a variety of different uh, policies that are being put forward as being a cure for man-made global warming or man-made climate change. What, what are those policies, what has been put forward, and what's going to happen with that, all of those things? Well, the most recent thing is the Paris Treaty or the Paris Accord, where virtually every country uh, on the globe has, has signed in. I think uh, the United States was one of the major... Uh, drivers of this. Um, and as most most people know, we've given notice that we're pulling back from that treaty. Uh, the way it's structured, it's very difficult to get out quickly, but basically the notice has been given. That program is based on trying to get the carbon emissions worldwide uh, reduced dramatically. The way that uh, the U.S. participated was the Clean Power Plan, which EPA is now in the process of repealing. And a lot of people that, uh, you know, really are worried about the climate change are, are you know, upset. They're saying, by gosh, uh, what are we doing here? And you have to look at those two, two plans, in particular, the Paris Treaty or Paris Accord and the reason people distinguish it, a lot of the countries went through the legislative process, explained it to their legislatures. They adopted it. The United States did not bring this as a treaty, so they just changed the name to an accord or almost like a contract that the executive signed, but it had an escape clause, and the current president has decided to exercise the escape clause. And the reason why is that the treaty doesn't really do what it's purported to do. Um, a couple of the, the, the biggest carbon emitters in the future will be China and India. And they were able to basically say, let us grow our economy at least until 
2030, and then we'll start making reductions. Uh, the U.S. was required to reduce their emissions by about 50 percent uh, in the uh, in this treaty is the first start, it was first 30%, then the next step, 50%, and then finally 80% reductions, which basically mean you're going to have to go to a non-fossil fuel economy. It would put us in a tremendous competitive disadvantage, and we pulled out. At the same time, our key component to get the thing started was the clean power plan, and that in itself was the 30% initial reduction that plan basically was designed to change the whole economic system of the U.S., uh, the US and it was well beyond the constitutional authority of the EPA to do that. A lot of people are saying, but all the great things it would do, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the most important thing is it's illegal. The Supreme Court has already stated as an illegal act because it's basically a, uh, an agency of the federal government is establishing the energy and economic policy for the country. That has to go through the legislative process. If we're going to make that big a change to move us totally away from fossil fuel in a relatively short period of time and completely change the economy, put businesses out of business, etc., uh, you better vet that through the legislative process, which, as we know, is a long, deliberative process that you think about everything because that's what the Founding Fathers intended, not to make rash decisions. The House of Representatives to make rash decisions, the Senate to be more deliberate. And the system normally works. And, and that's really – that's kind of an excellent point. I think the, the previous administration had a, a definite agenda. And – because they understood that the legislative branch would never go along with this. They went way outside the legislative branch. They overstepped their authority by, by an, in enormous ways to promote not only this but other agendas that they were in favor of that could never pass the smell test uh, through the legislative process. So uh, basically uh, what happened then is that we're now seeing a correct pullback and a refutation of the of that policy of being able in the executive branch, either with the executive himself or an agency of the executive branch, making decisions that affect the lives of everybody in the country with no oversight, absolutely no oversight whatsoever. Uh, when you come right down to it, None of these accords really are going to do anything, are they? I remember the data on the Kyoto uh, Accord that over 100 years the change would be, what, one-hundredth of a degree or, or some, something ridiculous like that. So these really are not designed to actually fix the problem. They're really not. It's, a, it's really a ruse. Well, the way they would explain it is it's a start. And uh... – the former head of the EPA testified before Congress on the clean power plan that we just talked about. And the uh, congressional uh, members had the results of the model. And they said, well, wait a minute. Are you telling me that this – I'm looking at the model, and it says it's going to make one hundredth of one degree difference 
We're going to shut down all the coal-fired power plants. We're going to shut down a lot of the gas-fired power plants. And it's going to be one hundredth of one degree difference in the year 2100. And the the head of the EPA said, yeah, yeah, but that's not what it's for. It's not it's not about that. It's about setting the example for the world. And you look at that and the cost of that particular piece of legislation to set the example for the world and get, you know, get the ball rolling. Well, the ball rolling, the Paris Accord basically has us doing virtually everything now and everyone else that's making a difference as far as CO2 emissions gets to wait till 2030 to even get started, you can imagine the economic impact that would have on the U.S. when we're just trying to rebuild our industrial base. And a lot of people, you know, wonder why, you know, why would industry come back here? One of the reasons is that we have very reliable, low-cost energy. Now, I was fortunate to work on two of the most revolutionary power plants in the country, and those technologies that uh, federal grants were used for are not going to be able to be used in this country, but they are going to be used in India and China. One of those technologies is a coal-fired plant that's 25% more efficient than the coal plants we have today, probably more like 40% more efficient than the old Chinese plants. When they build a new power plant, they're state-of-the-art in China. India, I believe, is the same way. And what will happen is the low-cost energy is no longer dominated by us. So your manufacturing has no reason to come back because if they've got the reliable low-cost energy, why would you come back to the U.S.? Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum will be right back after a quick break. In addition to that, we really don't have any good alternative to fossil fuels for running our power grid, for running our lives, for growing food, for our, our, our way of life here. How could we possibly in this country have the standard of living we have, the luxuries we have, our lifestyle, if we did not use fossil fuels? You cannot tell me, and I'm sure you won't, that we could replace all that with solar and wind. Well, here's the thing. It's timing. It's, it's all about timing because we, we, we know that uh, there was a big crisis back in the late uh, 1800s, early 1700s. There was a shortage of whale oil, and people thought it would be the end of the world, and then someone came up with kerosene. So in our situation... We're dependent on fossil fuels. We have tremendous billions and billions of dollars of investment. The biggest problem is is timing. For instance, uh, you get yourself a nice new pickup truck, and you it's an expensive pickup truck, so you're going to finance it for five years. Two years into your contract on your pickup truck, the government now decides that your truck is illegal to have on the road. You now have to go buy another pickup truck, but you still have to pay for the one that you can't use anymore. This is what's happening with the power 
industry in in many southeast especially where we have a lot of coal-fired plants a lot of the plants aren't paid for the gas-fired plants are definitely not paid for now if you have a new technology that comes in and we wind industry gets uh energy gets cheaper solar we're getting more efficient more power out of the sun etc you still have a big problem storage what do you do at night what do you do when the wind doesn't blow etc but it's that capital investment the billions trillions that if you allow yourself if i allowed you to use your pickup truck for five years it's paid off and then you say well i want to get some more free miles out of my truck so you keep it for 10 years now you buy a new truck with the new regulations what is that costing you nothing but what if i make you get rid of your truck after two years and you have eight years you're not going to get the value out of that truck this is what's happening to the power industry it's it's funny because i tell people power industry is not in the coal-fired business it's not in the wind business it's in the electron business and so as long as they can get their electrons for one price and sell it to you for more, they're happy. So, um, you know, a big myth, and I, I've, I've been to quite a few hearings on the climate change issue and so on, and people will get up and say, oh, these power companies, they just don't want to spend money. They don't want to have the cost go up. They're just greedy. And I'm, I'm looking at that, and I, I talked to one of the speakers after that, and I said – you really believe that? Yes, yes, that's, that's why you people don't want to do this. And I said, well, let me ask you something. Do you know how a utility monopoly operates? Well, I'm not sure. Well, let me tell you. You're entitled to make a certain ret- uh, return on your investment. Now, the company that I'm here representing, uh, their revenue last year was exactly $1 billion dollars. If this proposal goes through, they project that their electric rates will generate $2 billion. Well, they normally get about an 8% return on their investment, about 8% of the bill. So last year, they got $80 billion or $80 million net off this. If their billing goes up to $2 billion, they're going to get 160 million. So why do you think they would fight this if it was cost? What they're concerned about is this particular utility has about 30% of its its electricity going to manufacturing. They don't want to drive what they have out of the country. They also don't want to make it so expensive for their customers that they create a hard a hardship for them. So when you're thinking that they're doing it because they don't want to give up their profits, they actually make more money the more it costs them to make electricity. And guess what? You've got to pay it. You don't have a choice because it's a monopoly. So there's a lot of misinformation as to why uh, a lot of these electric utilities are saying, look, you got to understand the consequences of forcing the retirement of these generating units before they're paid for because someone's going to pay for them, and it's the people that are buying the electricity.
We're speaking with Robert Kappelman, an expert in climate change and the energy industry. And obviously, Robert, energy is the key to economic growth. It's the key to really everything that we do. We are a carbon-based planet. We are carbon-based individuals. Plants are carbon-based. Everything on Earth is pretty much carbon-based. We've discussed all that. And so let me ask you if you have some something that you want to say to, to wind up this conversation. What, what are, if you wanted to have people understand the important points about climate change and its relation to public policy and energy, what would you say? Well, I would say that, you know, it's important to educate yourself as to what is going on with the climate change argument. Understand that the climate is changing. It's always been changing. We've come out of the last glacial period about 25,000 years ago. Uh, We've been warming ever since, not at a steady rate, but at uh, basically a little bit of cooling, a little bit of warming, but always increasing. The oceans have been rising for 25,000 years. So this is not an issue. And when you hear someone say, man is causing the climate to change, that is, that is not a true statement. Man has the theoretical ability to change the rate of change, but he's not going to change the fact that the climate is changing. It's a much, much bigger thing than man. It's a little bit of hubris involved in the fact that you think that man is able to change the climate. But a legitimate question is, can we affect that rate of change? So that's where the science ought to be looking at. But more importantly, the science needs to look at, is the rate of change changing because of natural conditions? Because we look at history, we look at geologic history, we see that the climate can change pretty rapidly on its own. So we need to be aware that this could happen, and we ought to be able to uh, have some ability to adapt to it. Because I really think that the ability of man to affect the change in climate, the rate of climate change, from everything I've read, everything I've studied, man is going to probably be shown to be a minor player in the whole drama of climate change. And if that's the case, then we better understand if the climate is accelerating in its rate of change, we need to be able to learn how to adapt to that, much like the ancient Vikings, but hopefully we have a better outcome than they did. Very interesting discussion, Robert Kaplan, and and I think your message is really clear. Uh, And that is that we are dealing with climate change because the climate on Earth has been changing for millennia. And so we weren't around when all of the real enormous climate changes were going on. Uh, You know, the geologists will tell you there were times where it's there was fire and brimstone on Earth. There wasn't a formed Earth even. Uh, and then we had the dinosaurs. We had glaciers that covered our area, would have, which would have made it in, uninhabitable where we are. And yet we're here we are. And so now we have to adapt to what is changing. And, you know, the way science is progressing, there will be ways for us to adapt. As far as I'm concerned, and I hope you agree, it is much more efficient for man to look for ways to adapt and propagate the human species, whether it's here or on another planet or wherever, rather than to have the 
the hubris to think that we can change what is happening in the climate of Earth. I believe that you're exactly correct, Doctor. And uh, some of the UN scientists are actually beginning to realize that. And you hear more of them, a minority, but more of them talking about adaptation as opposed to we can fix this. Thank you very much, Robert Kappelman, for a fascinating discussion of climate change. Thank you for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. Thank you, Dr. Dan. I really enjoyed it. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Thank <laughs> you.